Hey everybody, welcome to Warhorn Media's Biblical Foundation for Aesthetics, music. And I'm Nathan, of course. He's Jake. Hey, how you doing? You know us. But today we have a very special guest, don't we, Jake? Yeah. Do you want to tell people who it is? Sure, it's Pastor Jody Killingsworth, Associate Pastor of Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. He leads our worship, and he is the front man for... A uh, little band you might know called My Soul Among Lions. That's right. And what are the other stats we need to know about Jody? See, Jody came to the Jacob School of Music in Bloomington to get his PhD in Baroque Violin Performance. I don't think they give PhDs to performers. Doctors of music is what they call them. Sorry. I just want to make that clear. <laughs> Thanks. To all you PhD, actual PhD holders out there. <laughs> well, I have been put in my place. Yeah, Jake, nice going. <laughs> Idiot. Stepped, sure stepped in it there. <laughs> uh, got your master's over in uh, Manchester. Mm-hmm. Is that right? At the Royal... Northern College of Music. Royal Northern College of England, Music. England, England. Jody and I went to uh, our pastor's college here together, recently renamed New Geneva Academy. Mm-hmm. Recently, like last night. At literally last yeah. night, yeah. So yeah, we graduated together in what, 2010? Beats me. Somewhere around there. Somewhere around 2010, and the church hired us both on staff at the same time, and so we've been serving together and working together for over 10 years now. That's right. Well, Jody, hello. Hello. It's fun to talk about you <laughs> right in front of you. <laughs> I can't tell you how fun it was to hear you talk about me. Jody knows what he's talking about when it comes to music, and that is the topic today. And as people will already know, we are asking a series of rather broad questions to try and get at what's special, what's unique, what's dangerous, what's interesting about the medium in question. So let me ask the broadest question possible, which is, what is distinct about the medium of music? What does it do that's different from say film or books literature literature or the fine arts every word we're going to use to talk about music is a word that we're going to borrow from other mediums because it's notoriously difficult to talk about because it is ephemeral it is it's it's you can't touch it Mm -hmm. you can't put your hand on it you can't taste it you can't you can't it once it passes through your ear and as it's happening, it happens in its invisible way, and then it's gone. Mm-hmm. It's it's the world of sound, and in the world of sound is notoriously difficult to talk about because of its nature, and you end up having to just borrow words and concepts from the visual world, from the concrete world of touch and sight, in order to describe it. Mm-hmm. So, you talk about colors of different sounds. C- sounds don't have colors. Right. They're invisible. <laughs> they're pitches. They're frequencies. But you can talk about forms, but even that is the form is an invisible form. It's something you might be able to uh, explain or understand intellectually, but it doesn't have a form in any normal sense. It's just combinations of frequencies and rhythms. And so it's just very difficult to even talk about. Yeah. So what does that allow music to do or what makes it? I mean, that's part of its potency and its power is that it is so ephemeral and it's coming at you in a way that you know if you read if you're reading a book you are reading ideas and concepts and you're getting descriptions of images and and descriptions of sounds but you're you know it's words on a page in front of you and it it really appeals to your imagination through these ideas that can be communicated through words uh, if you're watching a movie or something like that you're getting sound and visual representations and people and faces and stuff um, music deprives you of almost all of that, and yet it has this power. Somebody might say, despite that, but we might want to say because of that. How do you get at the power of music? Because it is less tangible, because it's less or f- not as connected to propositional truth as the written word or even the visual visual representations of things. Because of those things, maybe it speaks more directly with our emotional sense of feeling and just our emotional world that God has given us. And I think more than any of the other mediums, it may well speak directly and connect most immediately with our feelings. Mm -hmm. So music is often combined with other um, art forms. Song is maybe one of the most, it's how we most of us know music. 
we know songs. Well, that's not purely music. It's actually written words. And those words carry concrete, more or less concrete ideas. And the music helps support and teach us how we should feel about those ideas and leads our, our hearts, our emotions in feeling along with those words. But, and, and it's often combined with visual arts and movies. Movies, it's hilarious to watch movies that have the soundtrack taken out of them. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, Much yeah. less compelling. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Well, if, you know, one of my, one of the greatest examples of this, uh, anything that John Williams has scored, because he's scored some of the dorkiest, dumbest movies of all time. And he's able to bring really powerful emotions to bear on these really dumb moments. Once you take away, once you watch a Star Wars movie and you take away the Force theme, it's just like, what in the world? My favorite example is E.T. is going home and that somebody took the sound out. You can find it on YouTube. And this little plastic creature waddles up a spaceship and everybody's kind of saying, bye, E.T. <laughs> and it's just like a so, lot more like just normal life. Yeah, yeah it's so dorky. But you put that music in and you're sobbing. Is it too, I'm sure philosophers have banged their heads against. I mean, why do you have, do you have an answer, Jody, to why pitch varied? with rhythm moves me is that just a mystery of god or is that like i don't personally have an answer <laughs> i think it's clearly got how, how god has made us he's made sound and we he has made us as men able to organize and structure sounds and create sounds in such a way with a certain order and it have an aesthetic impact on us mm-hmm. it just like we can take a bunch of stones and form them into something that is higher than just the stone is. We can take words and we can order them and per- add, a, add a rhythm and rhyme to them. And we can make something higher and more elevated than just a sentence. Mm-hmm. Or we can take up string sentences together and tell a story that is higher and more elevated than just facts. Mm-hmm. Same thing can be done with music in that we can take sounds, pitches, rhythms, and combine them in such a way with a cert- certain proportions and certain contours, and we can move people. We can make something higher than just the sound of that car driving by. Mm-hmm. You could actually take sample the sound of that car going by, combine it with several other cars going by, or take, you know, and make little rhythms out of it, make them interact in such a way as it becomes clearly something intentional, intended yeah. by a rational person, to communicate something. Mm-hmm. You may even be skillful enough to take just purely the sounds of cars mm-hmm. and to manipulate them in computer software and in such a way as to build something that someone could listen to and could actually think, that's, that's really quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was just the sound of cars, but it's actually beautiful. Yeah. Because a mind did something intentional with it in order to make something beautiful, something higher, more elevated than just the mundane fact of a sound it's taken some chaos and brought order to it i had that same idea what you talking about the cars makes me think about if you've ever just been out at night in spring out in the country and listen to the spring peepers and everything going all at once it's in the insects buzzing in the trees it's crazy chaotic it's all kinds of sounds and all kinds of pitches coming at you in all kinds of different ways and sometimes can have a beauty of its own and i think it does but on the other hand, it's it's a lot of just straight up chaos happening. And what I find is in those moments where there's like I often, most often, it's with my turn signal. Mm-hmm. A turn signal is just a repeating metronome. Mm-hmm. Metronome. I find that if I'm sitting there for a while, I just instinctually, maybe it's because I'm a musician, mm-hmm. and maybe because I don't like to have metronomic things happen without me and um, making something <laughs> right <laughs> more of them elevating them elevating them to something uh, not annoying <laughs> but i just craft a tune on top of it mm-hmm. yeah as a way of making that annoyance go away i actually enjoy now the turn signal mm-hmm. and its rhythm mm-hmm. <laughs> so another opportunity to to be creative here and to bring some uh some joy to this obnoxious part of my life sitting waiting to turn (laughs) do you believe that these things are the beauty and the order that we find is it something that exists outside of us is it something platonic something real or is it really just in the eye of the beholder like subjectively i'm seeing i find this arrangement of sounds and rhythm to be pleasing is is there can we make 
objective statements about the beauty of music. Can you make objective statements about a painting of a tree? I think I can. I feel like I can, but then I think we I think we have to know or I don't know. I'm not exactly sure what your question is. It's it I'm seems not exactly like, sure what is. Is there something is unique about music that makes it harder to be objective about or to uh, make absolute statements about than it, other art forms? It certainly feels more subjective, I guess. Maybe that's what's behind my question is it feels more abstract, more difficult to talk about, less self-evident perhaps why one thing works and one thing doesn't, except for that I know I like a certain melody and I know I don't like cacophony. Do you think it's easier to define why you like a certain painting of a tree and not another painting of a tree? Well, for example, with a painting of a tree, I could say that replicates a real tree in a way that is pleasing. I suppose at the end of the day, we are just going to get to the mystery of why. Well, one of the things that's different is you can, as you're trying to explain what you like and don't like about this or that tree painting, let's say you have two paintings of trees. They're not of the same tree. You're just trying to decide, I do like that one, or I like aspects of that one. I don't like that one as much. Mm -hmm. And you're trying to define why you like the one and not the other. The advantage that the visual arts provides you is that there's this thing right there on the wall that you can point at, and everybody that you're trying to explain this to can look at it with you. Mm -hmm. You're all looking at the same thing at the same time, and it's providing you time of reflection. Right. One of the difficult things about music is it's it's just it comes and goes as soon as it happens it's gone that's that is part of what makes it dif more difficult to talk about because you can't just hold it up there and point at it you have to have the ability to recall it you have to have words and concepts it has to have you have to develop a terminology mm -hmm. for how to talk about it that's shared mm -hmm. and common so that when you use a certain word everybody knows what you mean by it right and you have to either have the ability to play the recording back and say what it was that you meant. But even then you're relying just purely on your memory or whatever you were able to perceive about the event of it being played mm -hmm. after the fact. It's just because of its nature, it is more difficult even to um, have a conversation about mm -hmm. because it's here and gone. This is gone. It's over as soon as it happens. This is why the... In, as as we've become more in the last several centuries inclined to talk about music academically and to study it, the score, the manuscript of the notation has mm -hmm. become much more important in the conversation about music on an academic level. Because mm -hmm. it's something you can have in front of you. Because that's why. Because you can actually talk about it. You can have a conversation about it. You can say, here's how that note relates to this note. Here's what that chord is and how that chord relates to this chord. And here's how that's functioning within a certain form and what it's doing and what that form is communicating. And here's how it succeeds as an example of that form mm -hmm. on the whole. And uh, the score has become so central to any academic study or discussion about music. Mm -hmm. Very few of us live in that world, mm -hmm. thank goodness. We just know what we like and what we don't like. But it's difficult to, it's difficult to come up with ways to explain to one another what we like about music, what we don't like. Also, because probably because of its ability to speak so directly to our feelings, it becomes maybe more precious to us than what we like about movies or what we like about poems or what we like about mm -hmm. novels. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I sense that that's true. I don't know if you guys find that in your experience. I think so. I, I think it is true. I, I think that another, as you're talking, another aspect of what makes this difficult that occurs to me is, you know, you bring up the example of a tree or painting of a tree. Well, part of even the language of how we would be able to talk about why we like this one painting of a tree and why we don't like this one painting of another tree is that we can compare it to a tree. A tree. God made a tree. And God made we know a tree. That's good. We know what that is and we know that that's good and beautiful. And we can say, this is a really great representation of a tree. This isn't a, a realistic representation of a tree, but it brings out something about the way God made trees that, you know, or this is makes an abstract postmodern rejection of trees that. It says God hate you know God was wrong and stupid when he made trees the way he made them right. you know and therefore this is a an ugly or an evil painting right. um, but you 
what are you going to compare music to? What frames of reference do you even have to? I know that there are musicians that try to capture the idea of a tree or wind or any number of things in nature and song, but without, they got to explain that to you in words. Mm-hmm. They got to tell you that that's what they're doing to help you, you know, and, and maybe they don't. Maybe there are certain things that they can do to help just inspire in you. And a lot of people will say, oh, that reminds me of a thunderstorm, you know, and it's because of, we have big bass drums that sound like thunder and a couple of things like that to compare it to. But on the whole, there's just not handles. I think there are, there's certainly fewer handles by far. And it is more purely abstract or blank slate-ish in that regard. There's not a, there's fewer reference points, although there's sound happening all the time. Right. And it has definitely been normal, common <clears throat> for composers of music to turn their attention to the natural world, to bird song, mm-hmm. as a example of what is nature telling us about itself just orally, listening to the sound of water trickling across stones, listening to the waves crash against rocks. There's lots of reference points, but I, I think I agree. I don't know how to defend or explain why it's different, but it does seem as if what you're saying does add to the difficulty of explaining, talking about, and defining music and how it works, how it works on us. Do you think, for example, that maybe this is a way of getting at opening the question up a little bit more. Do you think, for example, that God made it so that when I heard violins, I would think sad, I would think excess of emotion? Or do you think that that's a cultural thing and and violins could just as easily have meant happy? Or, I mean, is there something inherent to certain instruments, to certain styles, to... Or ranges. Or ranges that connects with certain emotions and that's the way the universe is built or is it i mean i guess i'm kind of just asking nature or nurture sort of thing and maybe the answer is nobody knows i think the answer is nobody knows or no one has been able to define it to everyone's satisfaction been lots of assertions made that music Mm -hmm. is very dangerous Mm -hmm. certain forms of music is very dangerous because of course we all know it is uh, a vehicle of uh, propositional truth, mm-hmm. but no one's been able, or very few people have gotten, have succeeded very much in explaining how it is a vehicle of propositional truth. Mm-hmm. I'm not ready to deny that it can't be um, a vehicle of of truth, mm-hmm. and therefore of falsehood. Mm-hmm. Well, can we just take the example that we're probably all thinking of? Some Christians will say that uh, rock and roll is sexual because it's. I think basically, sorry to get graphic folks but they're just saying the music simulates a thrusting motion Uh basically and it's impossible to get away from the the pelvic thrust of rock and roll and so it is sexual and some of them will even say that's not necessarily a bad thing as long as you're wielding it in the right circumstances but they're saying there's something inherently sexual would you agree with that disagree with that i don't know how to uh, i i want to distinguish in my mind between inherent and intended Mm -hmm. i do know and we must everyone must grant that certain beats have been intended to communicate certain ideas Mm -hmm. and that has been done successfully in large gatherings in many occasions (laughs) that are notorious Mm -hmm. i was thinking as i'm talking of the rolling stones doing a concert out in la i think back in the 70s and someone was Stabbed to death in the intense kind of orgiatic, sexual, I don't know, Mm -hmm. uh, energy that was intentionally created at that, in that concert, both by the beats, but also this is why it's complicated because when we're talking about rock and roll, we're already talking about a mixed medium. Mm -hmm. That's right. We're talking about something that is not just... You can't pretend that it's just it... not melodies and rhythms. It has words, but then there's also the theatrics of the whole thing. There's somebody up there actually thrusting, right, right, <laughs> with their body <laughs> and telling you yeah. how sexual it is. You, you can't you you can't talk about the Rolling Stones music um, as being sexual without also also it's Mick Jagger. Also, he's singing about sex. Also, he's doing all kinds of ridiculous things on stage with his body and with his mouth and you could argue that Mick Jagger gravitated to that style because it was 
made for a sexually aggressive man. You could, but then you could also go back and uh, pull out the operas of Mozart and, you know, any number of other forms using other instrumentation and find incredible displays of sensuality across the board. And you can do that with any number of instruments and forms. And so, I mean, do we really want to, I mean, if we really want to go down that path, you know, let's talk about opera because. I think it's universally true in God's world, whether you're talking about a table or a paintbrush or an animal or a beverage, whatever you're talking about, if it can be made, it can be put to a bad use. It can also be put to a good use. And there's a lot of people that are talking about music from a Christian perspective in my life and probably in the lives of many of our listeners, um, that this would be familiar to them, that there's lots of people who have tried to just demonize a whole category of instruments. Mm -hmm. Drums are just evil. A drum kit that you hit with drumsticks because of their connectivity to rock and roll and because of rock and roll's sensuality. Drums are therefore just bad. They're objectively bad. Same with electric guitar. I've even heard arguments that synthesizers are inherently bad because they are not natural. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of arguments like this mm-hmm. in Christian circles. I, I just, what I want to respond to them is, uh, is the common adage, I don't know what you'd say, the saying that I think, I don't know who it's attributed to, probably Augustine, that the abuse of a thing does not negate its proper use. Mm-hmm. An electric guitar is not inherently bad. Can it be used to a bad end for a bad purpose? Absolutely. But so can a flute. Yep. Mm-hmm. So can an orchestra. And ha- and there are many examples. Many examples. And so what we have, unfortunately, that puts us in as Christians, that puts us having to exercise wisdom. Mm-hmm. That's the place we hate <laughs> oh, to no. live. We want an easy answer. Jody, I wanted to make a decision about which forms I could. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to make that up front, and then I just wanted to be able to indulge myself in the forms without ever having to exercise any wisdom or discernment. <laughs> yeah, well, God would have us be mature <laughs> and, and live in the difficulty of making decisions. And but I find that this problem exists everywhere I go, Jody. If I want, I wanted to pick an educational system for my kids that I wouldn't have to exercise discernment about what they're actually being taught. I wanted to pick classical education. I wanted to pick classical music. In fact, anything that has the word classical in it, it's I wanted to probably safe, pick. right? <laughs> but it seems like everywhere I turn, <laughs> God wants me to be mature, and that's just so difficult and challenging. And Do you think that there are, like, could we generalize and say electric guitars lend themselves to bad things culturally? Like, can we make some allowance for that sort of thinking, or do we just need to be innocent until proven guilty with every form? I think we do have to take into account cultural baggage and the what things mean in a certain time and place. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is me conceding to a certain degree of the that there is baggage that the electric guitar carries into uh, my life, mm-hmm. and we have to be wise there. Like if we're gonna, where are we gonna allow electric guitar to be used, and how we're gonna allow it to be used? Let's say I'm a church musician nowadays, and so as I try to make decisions about what instruments we'll use, how we'll use them in the context of worship, there's a whole bunch of practical things I have to consider. Mm -hmm. Like, does this song in its form allow us to sing along together as a body? Mm Mm-hmm. This is if it or is it more soloistic? In which case, it's not useful in this context. But those are just practical things. Mm-hmm. But then, when we talk about okay, this song and its form, its words are good. Its form allows us to sing along together as a body. There's a whole bunch of different ways we could sing it together with a whole bunch of different beats or um, instruments that are working together to lead us through the song. And I don't want our instrumentalists ripping off known licks that everybody's going to know and their mind's going to go to a song they hear on the radio. Mm-hmm. Yep. Partly because it's not dignified. They're going to smirk about it. They're going to laugh. It's going gonna, it's gonna to distract them. But also because a lot of those riffs have connectivity really to really explicit things mm-hmm. that are, if not inherently wicked, then they're at least not to the purpose that we not gathered helpful. together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So, there's reference to styles generally. That's one thing. 
Right. There's explicit uh, borrowing of riffs and motives. That's another thing. Mm -hmm. And what I, I'm much more cautious about just directly borrowing things from um, other songs mm -hmm. that people are going to know and recognize and, and their mind's going to go to that song and they're either going to smirk at it or their thoughts are just going to be going someplace they shouldn't be. <laughs> so that, that's just a, just a pra practical function of being in a culture where we use the same instruments and the same forms in worship that people use to do all kinds of evil things with. And so we have to be aware of it. N to be fair, for almost a thousand years, music in the church was purely vocal and instruments were not allowed in church for almost the first thousand years of church history because of their association with paganism. Mm -hmm. So they just decided we are going to distinguish ourselves. We're going to draw a hard line in the difference between our celebration of Christ and this pagan celebration of this false god, which was not just pagan and false, but also corrupted by immorality in the extreme. So debauchery, immorality mm -hmm. attended a lot of these pagan rituals. And the Christians, in order to be set apart and pure, did not want their worship having any of those symbols. And I think we can all be sympathetic to that. Mm -hmm. And we can also look at our world and see that there are similarities between rock our and day roll, and age. Rock and roll concerts, not all that different from uh, a pagan orgy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my the place where I keep thinking about it for me personally is rap just has so much baggage for me. And I don't know that everyone's like this, but like the only rap songs that I grew up with were songs about promiscuity, to put it mildly. And it's hard for me when Kanye releases an album, like the music itself tells me something and i don't want to make a a universal claim about that i don't want to make a say objectively it's bad to use rap but when i hear rap i hear sex personally i'm just gonna look up something sure that came in email in my inbox yesterday my soul among lions inbox a new comment from youtube it's a mm -hmm. notification from youtube a new comment on our song of the king official lyric video mm-hmm Guys, I just found you a few days ago and I've really enjoyed so much of your music, but this grieved me. You are right to make this a strong, powerful song, but to turn it into a worldly rock genre, which surely you must know is a thoroughly evil, satanic, impure kind of music that is purposed to lead people astray, I think is a big mistake. Take it as a plea to prayerfully consider who you sound like. We won't draw people out of the world by sounding like the world. Thanks for considering this. Mm -hmm. I actually don't mind that. It was well met. Mm -hmm. I, I think that is a good question to mm -hmm. always be asking. Are we being wise? Are we doing something that's actually helpful to calling people out of darkness and into light? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I have, I have not found, though, in my experience of leading, both leading worship and of writing Christian music, that is at times, well, all of it really has been designed to call people out of darkness and into light. Mm-hmm. I have not found that the people who are in the darkness, people who have not been raised in the church, who have been living in the darkness, I've mm -hmm. not, I have not in my experience found them at all confused as to what I mean or that I'm calling them to something completely different. Mm -hmm. Well, no, here's the, th here's the thing that I think is really key about this. Those people have been raised in a culture and that culture has a grammar. It has a way of speaking, a way of expressing, a way of of communicating in and around and through music that is like a native tongue, right? Mm -hmm. And so that is why, you know, for whatever reason, American culture has been shaped in a way that the guitar is central to how we have expressed ourselves for well over, long before Elvis hit the scene, yep. how we express ourselves musically. And so f I think it's just second nature to people to then take those tools, that language, that native language, and then turn it to the praise of God, capture it, recapture it for the praise of God, to try to tell people that now you need to adopt an alien culture to express your love and devotion to God is, is placing, an, it's like putting another hurdle out there for people. No, I, you know, I, I used my guitar to sing love songs and to try to, you know, whatever. And well, now I'm a Christian, I've got this guitar, I should use it to sing praise to God. I, I grew up listening to country songs or to 
rock songs or to pop songs. And they were the expression of all of my desires and things that I felt. And it was just a very natural way of expressing those things. And that's why the rock stars and the pop stars use them is because it connects with me. Well, now the most natural thing in the world is for me to use all of those same means and redeem them and, and, and offer them to God as something wonderful and holy. That's the thing that I bristle at a little bit in a comment like the one Jody just let. It's like, Satan's pretty smart. Sometimes he grabs the handiest tools, the best tools for communicating. And sometimes Christians respond by saying, well, now we can't use now the we tool. Can't, now we have to use a tool that's not as handy for communicating. And that can just be tough. You can find examples of this kind of thing all through scripture. It's, this is not an uh, original observation to me. Ironically enough, it's an observation that I came across um, made by somebody who typically argues against the use of contemporary music and forms in church music. But the, the example in scripture that I think of is that David, when he kills Goliath, goes over to the dead body of Goliath, pulls out Goliath's own sword, which has been, all of his armor has been decorated to reflect his connection with Satan. Yep. All the scales of his armor and everything. Mm-hmm. David picks up this own, his own weapon and he lops his head off with it. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's what I think is how I, scripturally, one of the de- scriptural defenses, I think, for using the common lingo of the day or the instruments that connect with people or that people are accustomed to having these kinds of expressions communicated by is to, or not these kinds of expressions, I mean expressions of desire. Love, devotion. Of love, devotion, and all of the things that really do translate as the Psalms show us, into our worship of God, mm-hmm. as yeah. assuming that they're sanctified and put to a godly end. Uh, using those things is, I think, just an, a wonderful example when it comes to drums and guitars and that sort of thing, to picking up Goliath's sword and lopping his own head off with it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Well, there's Goliath lying on the ground breathing. I wish that there were a sword around that didn't have pagan imagery on it. I better go find a rock and just keep bashing him in the head. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, or I can just like take his own sword and lop his head off with it. Because you know what? There it is. And it's super effective. What are the dangers that attend music and the way that people give themselves to it? For Christians, especially. Like we've been making a case for not just writing off. Well, what we've been making a case for is the, maybe the power of music, right? And the power of music for good corresponds to its power for evil. And so anything, any medium, any art that is potent, you know, it cuts both ways. And that is what we've been dancing around. Oh, no, this art form is dangerous. Therefore, maybe we should avoid it. Oh, no, these forms within these genres have been used in such a way as to corrupt them. Well, actually, that what what is potent about it can be potent for good, powerful for, for good. So this whole conversation has been dancing around the idea that music is especially designed by God to connect with and shape our emotions, how we think and how we feel rather. It's easy to manipulate people with music. It's why you can, you know, if you have John Williams, you can convince people that this really stupid scene is actually really powerful and poignant and emotional. He's manip- manipulating you with 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 uh, his score. But music can also be used very much to shape and train our our hearts to feel rightly about things, rightly about the way that God made the world, rightly about truths in God's word, especially when uh, we take music and, and combine it with lyrics and make song. So much of what we, what we do and what we've tried to do, even, even with our work with uh, My Soul Among Lions, has been we've got these words inspired by God, this songbook of 150 songs. Let's set them Now in- let's manipulate people into feeling the right way in accordance with those words. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I use manipulate because that's the word you used negatively about John Williams. Right. But actually, as I was thinking about John Williams, is less of a manipulator, actually, as an instructor. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He's, he's, te- he's leading people. He's teaching people how he wants them to feel about, about this, this moment. Right, this moment. Indiana Jones is a hero. You should all know you that. Should, you should, yeah, you should <laughs> And I do. Bum, ba, da, you should love him. Bum, ba, da. Yep. <laughs> or, oh, he, your hero is fallen. You should... You should mourn that. Right. You should feel scared. Yeah. You should feel a sense of loss. And he can communicate that without the need of any words and more effectively 
in that genre without words, yeah. just through a tune or or uh, some violins, you know, sustaining a note in the mm-hmm. background. Yeah, and and so that's what's powerful and what's awesome about music is you know you take these 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 psalms, you really lean into them, and you teach people what it's like to lament their sin through the music and the combination of the music and the words. And so when you talk want to talk about you know, the dangers of music, well, the opposite is also true. You can teach people to feel all kinds of sinful, evil, wicked thoughts. You can get into people's hearts and in, and pass their defenses through music. In some ways, music is like, uh, it shares some of the same power that a parable does, right? A parable is this story that you know, is going to take you along and it's it's going somewhere and you don't really know where it is and then it gets to the end of it and you're the man, right? Oh, I thought we were just talking about some other guy and sheep. Actually, it's about you. Music has this way of getting past your defenses, getting to your your heart first. And somebody who's skilled at that can reshape how you think about the world through teaching you how to feel about it. You asked, what are the dangers? Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the dangers is, in keeping with what Jake's just saying, is that we would fail to recognize that music has a power and it has an influence in our lives and we would just be unthinking about it and we would just accept and follow whatever we like and just assume that because we like it, it's good mm-hmm. and not not be reflective about it. And so I think that, that that's a danger across the board with all kinds of art forms, but that's a, we have to actually be intentional and think, here's music, here's a form of art, here's its use in this instance. Is it actually leading me to feel, which I think is what maybe the best we can ever say about what music is doing, <laughs> it's acting on our emotions. Yep. Is it leading me to feel something that's in accordance with the truth? Yep. It is leading me to feel something. Is it leading me to feel something that is true and good? Or is it leading Something me- honorable and worthy, something that I should, um, uh, is this, should I feel this way about this thing? And if I find, that, if I'm reflective about it and I find it actually, I don't believe that that feeling is appropriate in light of what God has revealed to be good and true, then maybe it is something that we should reject. I like something. Why do I like it? What is it appealing to in me? Is it appealing to the me that loves God and wants to please him? Or is it appealing to my sinful nature? Is it appealing to my my lust? Is it appealing to my any my anger? It seems like there's a probable high disparity between what you guys are saying right now and what you actually do. If I may be so bold, I mean both of you and me. I'm I'm just I, I want to play the devil's advocate, the person who's listening and thinking. Now I can't listen. To now I can't Bob, listen to Bob, Bob Dylan. Now I can't listen to the Beatles because even the Beatles celebration of relatively innocuous things. It's like, well, I could be training my emotions to love Christ with that same time. I could be listening to my soul among lions. Actually, I could be using this potent form to do something good for myself. So I've got to cut out all the crap. And that means completely reordering my life. And yet nobody actually does that. I mean, some people do just listen to classical. Some people do just listen to Christian, but most people, ourselves included, do listen to some popular music, some, you know, whatever we like, alternative music, classic rock. Is there an excuse for that, a place to be made for that? Or are we all just kind of not actually reckoning with the consequences of what we're talking about here today? You know, Nathan, we're above. For the for for the for the mature all things are mature and for the <laughs> godly all things are godly and for the no it's you're right it, there are uh, a lot of things that I listen to that there are, there are things that I listen to in the car that oh I'm picking up my kids from school I I I should turn that off and I I think a lot of that's just straight up hypocrisy there's really not an excuse for it to be made actually I think some things are I don't know just fun. Is is Hey Jude shaping my emotions in a godly direction? Not particularly. Is it shaping it, them in a bad direction? Well, you know what? Actually, is this kind of fun? Fun to yell na 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 in the in in the car? Do I have a theological way to make space for that? I don't know. I the the first worship song in recorded in scripture is in Genesis. And it's oh, it's a I it is worship because it is re- marveling at something wonderful that Adam is, encounters, and yet it's not God. 
it's a woman. And I, so when God brings Eve to Adam, Adam responds poetically. And I think it's, there's reason to think that he actually sang mm-hmm. about it, that he responded, that he just interrupted out of him a sort of poetic, even musical response, mm-hmm. because that was the only thing appropriate to the wonder and uh, that he was presented with. And I think that creates and establishes from the very beginning, before the fall, the appropriateness of singing about all kinds and, of things and making poetic utterances about all kinds of things and especially about love and especially about woman. There's a whole category that is established as part of that very good creation. There's a innocent and good response of Adam to the wonder and glory of a woman and loves. So now, so there's that. It's good. Then the fall happens and there's all kinds of trouble that comes into relationships and difficulties that the, that sin has bred in relationships, all kinds of struggle, death, separation, loss, hurt, cheating, all kinds of things now we're open to and vulnerable to in love. But I don't think that in the, the, the presence of those things does not invalidate a category that God in creation made possible and Adam created. And is available to everyone, Christian or non-Christian, via common grace. Yeah. To enjoy. And to- process. Sing about to make and and good feel and- better about. <laughs> 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 why do we? Why do I mean? There's nothing we sing more about than love. And there's actually, I think, if we if we did a study, we would find that the majority of things that are sung about regarding love are the breakdown of love hmm. in relationships, and it's cathartic. Yeah, it's because it's we're so vulnerable to it, and it's so painful. I think actually, God has given us this tool to help process it and to get over it and to feel a little bit better about it Mm. and to share experiences with each other and to take comfort that oh that's that happened to you too huh or you're you're telling your help you reminding me of what happened to me and you're helping me process it i think that's a lot of what country music is (laughs) (laughs) and actually i listen to old school country if i have a go go to station in my car that's what's on it. And locally here, there's a really great classic country station. Mm-hmm. And But I have found that there are songs on there that once my kids are around, I realize, oh, that's actually, that, that one's actually not good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, that's pushing it too far and it's not helping me. But I think that there's a lot to be said for, just like there is in a novel, processing um, dark themes and be at being helpful to us understanding the nature of darkness, the nature of sin, the nature of wickedness in certain characters helps us understand it in the world better. I think the same can be said for songs that process the darker side of love and relationships. There's a, maybe, just as there is with everything, there's a, a, a level that our kids are prepared to process that at, and there's a level that we, in our experience of maturity, are prepared to process that out. And just because I kid came into the car and I decided to turn the station does not necessarily mean that that song was inappropriate and wrong. Sure. Absolutely. It just means it was not, my kids are not ready for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've had to have that conversation with Peter about movies. Hey, just because mom and dad are watching this movie that we don't think is appropriate for you doesn't mean that it's evil and that when, when you're big enough, you can, you too can enjoy evil things. It just means that they're things that are appropriate, not appropriate for you to be thinking about at certain ages and not at other ages. I do think it's maybe helpful for us all to answer. Is there a, a song or a performer that we won't listen to and why? Oh, I have an easy answer to that. I don't listen to Leonard Cohen. It's because he has a special way of getting past my defenses. Yeah. making Helping me to love evil things dwell on evil thoughts and let them sink deep into my heart. There may be many listeners who think Leonard Cohen, big deal. You know, what's the difference between him and Bob Dylan? Well, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it, but he has a special way of getting past my defenses. Leonard Cohen is a pagan Jewish sex mystic in a way that (laughs) Bob Dylan is just simply not. (laughs) Bob Dylan believes in the judge of the universe Mm -hmm. and he believes that we're accountable to him. And that is, and he may not love God through Jesus Christ. I don't know where he stands. At one point, he he confessed that he did, mm-hmm. but I sense that he's wandered from that confession. But even still, he has not wandered from, uh, he expresses and conveys a universe 
that is ruled by God and that man is accountable to him. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't make any apology for that. Leonard Cohen also confesses that reality, but he's sticking the middle finger up to that God yeah. in super sophisticated ways. Yeah, yeah he's so sophisticated. <laughs> I would ways look- I like. I like exactly. him to work on me in that way. Exactly. That's why he's just so poised. Like, I would, I would. If you're the kind of person that doesn't like Leonard Cohen, then go ahead and listen to Leonard Cohen. That's kind of what I think. Like, I would rather listen to to Eminem, Tupac, Dr. Dre. I'd rather listen to the hip hop of my childhood than Leonard Cohen. Yeah, I would rather them be singing sexually, ex- rapping sexually explicit, obnoxiously devious things than listen to Leonard Cohen. I could more easily tune out and not be affected by that on some kind of deep emotional level and enjoy the beat mm-hmm. than I could listen to Leonard Cohen and not be affected in a way that was just straight up evil. And I am happy to admit that that may be very just personal, but that's about the level that I've, you, you, you know, you hear people say things like, I'd rather my, I'd rather my kids watch Sex in the City than VeggieTales because of the way VeggieTales is in, well, mm-hmm. whatever. But I, I, re- I really actually mean that. I think there's something to be said. I mean, at least ACDC, when they sing Highway to Hell, knows where they're going. Leonard Cohen, <laughs> he's much more sophisticated. And yeah. I think my answer actually is a weird answer. And I do still listen to them, but I always kind of feel bad about it. because, And it's because, I don't know if this is a good answer to your question, Jody, but uh, Tom York, Radiohead, just the level of despair. Existential. That, of existential nihilism coldness coldness that i feel and i don't even know because their lyrics are hard to understand and i haven't done a study of them i haven't looked them up i don't even know if that's what they're intending if that's what they're singing about i think it is from you know what i know of their lyrics but i just know that radiohead puts me in touch with existential daddy doesn't love me 90s era nathan in a way that is pretty profoundly unhelpful and I don't know that people can't enjoy Radiohead, but I do know that there's a kind of pallor and sickness that they mean to me, at least. And I have no idea whether that's an objective thing or a subjective thing, but it's my answer to your question. I attempted to take their their shtick, their mm. thing, that world, which I, when I was about 10 years ago when I was writing, I was listening to a lot of their stuff. Mm-hmm. And I I did my best to apply that to something I thought that it worked with in a, that it, I tried to use that Goliath sword mm-hmm. to cut off a certain Goliath's head. Mm-hmm. And that Goliath's head was our, our unwillingness today to suffer for, for God and how the church has seems to be trying every which way to avoid suffering shame for Christ. So I wrote a song called where are the persecuted? Mm-hmm. And I, I, you probably know that, it just sort of channels the Radiohead. The radiohead. Right. <laughs> uh, so I wrote a biting and uh, what would you say, uh, cynical, kind of despairing, mm-hmm. dark song mm-hmm. a, or a poem mm-hmm. that uh, was trying to be biting and cutting and kind of cold in how it comes across to get us to feel a little disturbed and uneasy mm-hmm. and not really sure what, why. Uh, and so I thought that that whole sound world and that fe- emotional landscape actually suited that poem well so it's not an exact ripoff of one of their songs but a lot of you can recognize it's a very the feel. radiohead vibe mm-hmm. yeah so you know i agree with you i think they have that mm-hmm. and i think those faults are their faults and there are dangers if you just live in that world and you listen to radiohead all the time don't be surprised if you find yourself to be a cold cynical and dead person mm-hmm. <laughs> narcissistic even yeah. i wonder if it's worth saying it is subjective insofar as people are going to have different temptations that they are given to. And so, yeah. Jake, yeah. you know, there might actually be somebody. I think Leonard Cohen's pretty wicked, actually. So, I'm not going to use him as an example. But just to Beatles, somebody might be really tempted by Eastern mysticism and they just can't do George Harrison. Someone else maybe can just enjoy the... And it's not that it's not that there's no objective truth there. It's just that objectively some people are tempted by things and given to things that other people aren't. And you should know yourself. And there are things that you should say no to that maybe the world doesn't have to say no to, but you should. And like with everything, there's a need for a balanced diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think if you find yourself listening to one kind of thing over and over again, you might want to stop and ask why. Why, 
why am I so, so into that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And is it actually healthy for me? And should I listen intentionally to some Bach and some other things just so I have, like with my own food, a balanced diet Mm -hmm. and healthy? Because if you just think about a diet of emotions, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's not not good to only listen to rage. Mm -hmm. Right. Is rage a valid emotion? Well, it's something that the Lord himself exhibits. So, there's a time and a place for it. And so, there should be a time and a place for it in music. Mm-hmm. But is that something we want to feast on emotionally all the time? Is that going to be good for us? No, it's not going to be good <laughs> nope. for us. I, I didn't get to answer the oh, question. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. Yes. I am repulsed by Sufjan Stevens, in as, even as I am attracted to it. So, Sufjan Stevens... It's not so much a thing right now, but in the last 10 or 15 years, yeah. he, was. he was very influential as yeah. a writer and creative artist and really had a compelling package. And at first, when I first encountered him, it was through his Christmas, like four volume Christmas album, mm-hmm. which is pretty great. Yeah, pretty great. But what I came, as I came into our church, which has taught me a lot about sexuality about God's purpose for me being a man and all of that, what that means and has challenged me to take on responsibility, shoulder responsibility as a man. What I have come to hear in Sufjan Stevens' thing is the contrived voice quality. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Very much um, he has created a vocal quality that perfectly expresses a kind of sexless, weak and impotent male. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have any drive. It doesn't have any desire. It doesn't have any maturity. It, it, he sings about some, at times, very dark and heavy things, but he, he's, he sings them as if he's like neutered, mm-hmm. as if he doesn't have any feeling about them. And I think that that's evil mm-hmm. and that we're all very susceptible to that particular evil as we live in a gender confused and neutered, particularly yep. when it comes to male sexuality, a neutered day and age and i i just i don't believe we should be listening to sufjan stevens as much as i actually do like it and i'm attracted to it mm-hmm. and i've come to see it as a in or uh, like a bad attraction mm-hmm. yeah i should not like that i should actually hear it for what it is and be willing to call it what it is which is malakoy mm-hmm. failure it's like peter pan syndrome it's like failure it's to sexually rebellious it's sexually rebellious and evil. Yeah. very powerful in the currency of today. Mm-hmm. So he's made a lot of money doing it, but that doesn't make it right. This sexual rebellion, maybe not consciously, but unconsciously has infiltrated what we call Christian music. Mm-hmm. Yep. It is almost impossible to find a man who's willing to sing to you as a man without a feminine affectation or mannerism that he has cultivated in his voice. It's maybe the biggest reason even bigger than the words that i can't listen to christian radio Mm -hmm. everyone sings with a we used we i used to call it when before i was better taught about the nature of sexuality i used to call it just a sexualized voice Mm -hmm. but now i know it's actually an effeminate it's a it's a it's men who i it's men who put on feminine um, qualities, qualities in the voice, mm-hmm. and women who put on masculine ones. Mm-hmm. And so what we have is a whole, even the church has embraced a culture of rebellion and of androgyny and that has infiltrated our worship and the forms of contemporary Christian music. It's very disheartening and mm-hmm. difficult. And part of the reason why we're driven to try to create stuff of our own and that yeah. we hope will be useful to other people. And once you start to hear it, you do hear it everywhere in song for one, but even if you just like, if you flip on NPR, you're going to hear women talking with vocal fry and men talking in these sort of soft. Soft, mm-hmm. passive voices. Passive voices, yeah. And it's hard to escape. Yeah. And it's hard to even to be aware of in yourself. So we were driving downtown, me and my kids, a few Saturdays ago to go to the library and uh, Johnny Cash came on the radio. And I think it was like, the, the Johnny Cash song, the uh, Ghost Riders in the Sky. Mm-hmm. And my kids had never heard that. And they immediately love it. And I'm sitting there thinking, I know what I love about it. Here's a man, unapologetically male. Mm. There's the most virile voice in, <laughs> <laughs> in music. 
Johnny Cash. And I, I don't know how many people out there actually celebrate Johnny Cash because here is a, why is he refreshing? I think a lot of people find him refreshing, mm-hmm. but why is he refreshing? I think he's actually refreshing because he's unapologetically male. Mm-hmm. He I'll, can't be anything but a man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I wish there was man some Christian musicians <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, what would you say, speaking of that, what would you, what would you say, Jody, to an aspiring musician? Like, what's the one thing, whether it's somebody in in their mommy's garage who's learning to play drums or somebody who wants to be a orchestra conductor or maybe it's different things to different types. I don't know. But what is the one thing that you wish aspiring musicians or young musicians knew or understood? If this is something you're pursuing and that God has gifted you for. It's something you need to do to serve others and not yourself. And you need to see yourself as simply a craftsman who's trying to learn a craft for the glory of God, for the usefulness of others, and to provide for your home. If this is really something you're gifted for and you're going to go for and you're going to make a career out of it, it's going to be very difficult to do that without being gross and evil or maintaining throughout your life and throughout the struggle you're going to have to make music more than or make money through music more than likely to a lot of people try to maintain that by having this overinflated sense of themselves mm-hmm. the self-importance of their art yeah it's you know it's worth it or actually it causes them to resent people christians their family people around them for not understanding mm-hmm. the weight and then the importance of this special priestly calling in the world. And I've been guilty of that for many years of my life. And I th- I've come to see it as just pride and vanity. If God has called you to be a musician, then be a musician, but be humble. It's really nothing. I, I face this danger still when I'm trying to write a song. I can get, I can get so convinced that the song that I've just written or the verse of, of the song I've just written is just like, that's the most amazing thing. And God's been kind to show me that, yeah, some people are helped by it. And a lot of people don't even know it exists. <laughs> <laughs> and even if they did, a lot of them would just shrug their shoulders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's just, you know, it's a little thing we could do. It's a good contribution to make to this world if we have those gifts to develop them and to use them either professionally or just as a hobby or as a ministry. It's a good thing. If God has made you able to order sounds, words, um, in such a way as to be to make beautiful things that move people, and especially if those things can help people worship God and understand the world rightly, then I'm all for you developing your skills as as and taking them as far as you can. But you got to realize you don't sacrifice good normal things on the altar of that. That's the, that's the other danger that you'll face is if you have this inflated sense of yourself and of your purpose and calling in this regard. Well. A lot of you're going to have all kinds of temptations because it's hard to make money to delay marriage, to not ever be home because you're on the road all the time. And so you can't actually be a part of a church. You have to take these things into account and you have to prioritize church, marriage, children. Those are the normal things that apply to everybody. If you're an exception to that, make the exception something other than you've got a higher calling (laughs) to music. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. You got to have come up with something better than that to impress me. Imagine if every uh, carpenter went around talking about how high his calling was because he makes chairs and everybody has to sit in a chair. Mm-hmm. It is a craft and it is a craft that is powerful, but there, there are lots of useful crafts out there to yeah. learn. Yeah. If you're looking for creative fulfillment in life, you can find that in all kinds of places and ways. I would also practically advise people, if at all possible, to not go into debt to pursue the study of a classical music instrument because they don't want you to know this, but you're not going to find a job more than likely. The jobs are so few and the number of applicants for each like orchestra position are over and they're in the hundreds and the chances of you getting that job are so slim. Um, And then you're going to just be sitting with thousands or tens of thousands of dollars of debt and it's going to weigh you down and, and slow you down in life. And so mm-hmm. if you're able to pr- get training in music, you feel called to be a performer, to study classical music or any anything like that, just think practically about it. Sit down with some... Typically, musicians, artist types are not actually very practical. Mm-hmm. So I think what we need to do is sit down with somebody who's realistic and be willing to, to be taught by them 
how should I think about it? What are the practical steps I need to take? What are the things I need to keep in mind as I plan my career and wanting to have a family, wanting to have my roots in the church? Help me think practically about it. Maybe your pastor could do this for you. Maybe your dad, maybe a friend. 